Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Frets, and my name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm here joined again by Andy Ellis. Hello, everyone. And as you heard on Monday, we have Matt Smith, who's a guitarist, producer, educator based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, he runs the Six String Ranch down there in Austin, Austin, which is an incredible, incredible studio. Uh, and he hosts, uh, at least pre-COVID times, I'm sure he'll return to it. He also hosts workshops there with with well-known guitar players and there's a lot of studio and session work there, and that dovetails into our topic today, which is what are some ways to, either on stage or in the studio, to combine different guitar sounds so they don't just end up in a jumbled, muddy mess? We're going to learn a lot because Matt has a lot of experience in layering guitars, and as a producer, listening to people who layer guitars, maybe with less success. So he mm -hmm. tells us what to avoid and also what to do. Yeah, and so we, we covered not only technique stuff, but also sonic EQ things that could that could really help, even if you're just at home recording some demos for your buddies. So uh, so check it out. You can reach out to us at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. So without any more, let's just hop into our next conversation with Matt Smith. Segovia once called the guitar a little orchestra. And uh, as I was studying classical guitar at the beginning of all this grand adventure of six strings, uh, I, I tried to look at the guitar that way and see it as a little orchestra. And then as I began to meet other musicians and play electric guitar, I realized that this little orchestra can be shifted with capos and shifted with open tunings and... You can play nylon string, six string, 12 string. You can have different scale lengths. All of a sudden, these colors that are still part of guitar are available to us on a palette. But as we all probably remember from kindergarten, if you mix the wrong colors together, you get this kind of ucky, you know, dirt-colored thing. You know, you, you'd think blue and yellow, it's beautiful with red, and pretty soon you're, you're making mud. And I know, Matt, that you've been arranging and producing and mixing music for a long time, and you've even told me that sometimes people who are guitarists give you music to mix where all the guitars are kind of making that mud color. What do you tell them? What do you tell other guitarists to do and also not to do with this guitar orchestra? Someone said something to me a long time ago, and I never forgot, and I'll start with this. It was uh, a guy in New York... And he was listening to my music, and he said to me, 
what's the best part of your song? And it kind of took me a kind of, I wasn't quite prepared for it. And I thought about it and I said, maybe this hook right here. And he said, why isn't the rest of it that good? <laughs> and I thought, oh, everything has to be the best part of the song. So for me, I, I think when you're making music, when you're recording music and playing music, everything is an opportunity to make things better. So if you already have, for example, uh, one of the things that you, I mentioned to you before about this, if the guitar is playing open position chords, the other guitar doesn't have to play those open position chords. They can play them in a different part of the neck. They can also play a different rhythm. So it's not just the voicings, uh, looking for different voicings, but looking for different rhythms. So I've always looked at the guitar as a subdivision of a drum kit. So it all starts with the kick drum. For example, a bass, it has to lock in with the kick drum. If the, if the bass is going boom, 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 the bass line can go doom, 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 doom. And then you have automatically have a great rhythm. Over the top of that, you have, uh, uh, so I'm looking at uh, the smallest subdivision, which is a 16th note. 1E and a 2E and a 3E and a 4E and a 1E and a 2E and a 3E and a 4E. And then within that, we got doom. And then we have little holes. So maybe the guitar doesn't need to be all over the place. I used to always call bands that I worked with sometimes that were like funk bands that everyone was playing all over the place. I'd be like, I love you guys. You're like a box of puppies. <laughs> box of puppies is great for like 10 minutes. And then you have to put the box of puppies down because you'd much rather hang out with the old dog that knows where to place this stuff right. In other words, if the bass line is busy, make the guitar line. It might just be the guitar line. It might just be an E ninth chord going, diddle, 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 like doom, 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 diddle, 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 doom. You know what I mean? That might be all you need on the guitar there. Now, if there's another guitar going over that, it might be, so in other words, I think about uh, arranging rhythmically and sonically the guitars so that they it creates uh, a whole. A great example of this, it's super old school, but it is to listen to the Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself by Sly and the Family Stone. Listen to just the one guitar part. There's the bass line that goes doom, 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 doom. Doom, doom. And the guitar is going do 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 do. That's one guitar. Do 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 do. The other one goes beetle and that's all it does. And that makes it so funky and so cool. Now with rock and metal, you have a lot of down tune guitars and stuff. So if something's already holding down uh, the uh, the bass, you know, is in that lower bass register. The more things you add to that, uh, there's a lot to be done with mixing and stuff, but you have to remember the bass and the kick drum share the same sonic frequencies. Guitars tend to be low mid. So keeping a lot of guitars in the same register, or, or, or you can make something really, that's how they did it with ACDC, for example, is, is layering the same parts on top of one another. But even if you are going to layer the same parts, it's really important not to use the same guitar. For example, you might have one humbucker guitar and then another guitar doubling that with, for example, a telly, a much thinner sound that you can pan them left and right and make them much fatter. But the worst thing you can do is to have the same guitar playing the same thing over and over and over again, taking up all the space from the vocal. If the vocal is a tenor, 
you want to stay away from that particular frequency with the guitars and you want to have space for the vocals to live. So it's, for me, it's really about d- different voicings and different rhythms for each part. One more question about, uh, or one more thought about this layering guitar idea that sort of dovetails to the home studio. And so you have one person making these different guitar parts. You know, if you had Tom Petty, you have Tom Petty playing his 12-string, and you have Mike Campbell, so you have two different human beings, and they're going to play in different places, and, 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 and they can separate. What's the hardest thing for one musician who's doing all the tracking on guitar to bear in mind what do you have to remember as you layer your guitars? Uh, there's a, another really simple philosophical statement. And I'll say this. What would you say to you if you were listening to your stuff? Mm. And generally, if you take yourself out of being inside, we all get so deeply inside of things. That's why it's so important a lot of times to have a producer. You know, I never produced my own music for years and years until I was just explaining to everyone else what I wanted them to do. And then I started producing myself. But it's re- but I learned from listening to a lot of other producers and asking questions about why this works and why that did it, for example. And if you, again, I'm going to go back to the, the idea of being removing yourself from the equation and looking at it from the standpoint of the listener. If you're listening to this, you're like, okay, one of the biggest problems uh, musicians have when they're recording themselves at home is either they don't know when to stop or they don't know when to continue. And In other words, that really wasn't good enough. Do it again. Or you should really have stopped on take number 14. I, As a producer, a lot of times, I, for example, let me discuss soloing. So a lot of times uh, I find that most guitar players – not every guitar player, especially not on the pro level, but a lot of aspiring guitar players aren't really playing their guitar. The guitar plays them. What I mean by that is they're wiggling their fingers around in a pattern they were taught that will work, and they know it works, but they're not necessarily playing what they mean to play. Now, we're communicating with our voice. I always teach people to sing everything they play, and the reason being, there's two things that happens. A, you become a much better singer. (laughs) Two, you start to understand what's going to come out of your instrument. I'll explain why. For example, uh, there's musicians that have worked with very good guitar players that'll say, all right, I'm going to take a solo, and I'll go, great. I'm going to go leave and, and just let you do your thing. I'll put it on loop record, go ahead and play it. And then if they start to melt down, I'll come in, and I'll say, okay, you know, you've done 13 takes of a solo, and, and you're not happy with any of them. Now, I can comp a solo for you by taking little pieces of everything, Or let me ask you this, what do you want to play? And they'll go, what do you mean? I'll go, sing to me what you want to play. And then they'll sing me a line and I'll say, well, play that. And they'll go, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. What happens is we, we tend to be reactionary a lot of times as guitar players instead of intentional. There's a huge difference in intentional guitar playing. And most of the guitar players that we all love are very intentional. And, and their guitar playing. In other words, that's exactly what they meant to play. Uh, and 
so and you achieve that by tying your voice to your guitar it's how we uh, it's how we uh uh interface with the rest of the world with our voice so it makes sense if you want your guitar to go if you sing it if you sing that if you're singing with your guitar it's much easier to make that happen so that's what i mean by intentional guitar playing so i know uh, on monday we talked about different strategies for dealing uh with different fretted and non-fretted instruments coming from a guitarist perspective how would you approach uh we talked about uh capos different voicings how would you uh, uh add in different tunings to the mix to help expand the sonic fingerprint of the guitars there's uh for example if a song is in d and i understand this this structure of d in other words i've already worked out that major minor minor major major minor diminished major pattern on detuning that i've extrapolated as we discussed on monday uh then i can just easily find for example the g chord and in detuning and, and use that however i won't play the same thing maybe i'll play maybe i'll just use what they call diamonds which is just whole notes and, and let that ring over it maybe with tremolo or something or some interesting effect but the whole thing is is when you're and and that allows me to decide when I'm going to use these particular guitars. Uh, so in other words, I have that particular instrument, or I might use high-strung guitar, which is a great thing to use a lot of times. High-strung is as simple as this. You take a 12-string set, and you take the low strings off the 6th, 5th, 4th, and 3rd, and then you have the octave of E, A, D, and G with a normal B and E string. That's a beautiful thing to layer in on acoustic guitar tracks. That's a, a wonderful texture. It's kind of a secret weapon. And then, for example, the baritone tuning. You know, you can use baritone strings. You can buy baritone electric strings and put them on a regular guitar. You don't need uh, a baritone guitar unless you're going to go up above the seventh fret or so, in which case you start to have intonation problems. But you can string your guitar with anything you want. And so really it's about textures. You know, so a lot of times I'll, or I'll just tune my guitar to whatever it needs to be and then just tune it back after I'm done so I don't mess up the neck. But I've always, I've always felt it's really important for you to be the boss of your instrument and not for your instrument to be the boss of you. Mm. What I mean by that is your ability to understand what it is that you're hearing. You know, for example, I'll put it this way. When we start playing, you know, if I said, if I played you a D chord, you would know it's a D chord because you've heard it a million times. We're, uh, this is what I try to explain to students, for example, is like if you're going to play it, uh, what you have to do is start to understand what it is that you're hearing. What is that sound? You know, what is, the, what is it? What I was hearing? One of the things I used to do at the National Guitar Workshop when I taught there for many years because I'd have a class for six hours, and at the end of the six hours, because everyone's totally burnt out, I'd say, today we're going to do, what the heck are they doing? Where you can bring me in anything, and I'll explain to you what they're doing and why they're doing it. And and my students would have a great time trying to stump me. <laughs> and, and and they couldn't stump me. I'd go, that's, a, that's Steve Vai with a whammy pedal. And that's how he's getting that really cool, this is what he's playing, only it's an octave higher than what I'm playing because he's got the whammy pedal down. That's what's going on. And he's playing that scale because it fits into it this way. And so I'd explain to them why it is and why you're doing it. So the idea with all of this is, first of all, to understand what it is that you want to hear so that you can make it happen on whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. I hope that was clear. I don't know if that was clear or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 
so when it comes to, I'm just thinking like we've been talking mostly about kind of studio uh, tips and tricks, but when it comes to like live settings and there's another guitar player in your band and I run in this to a lot with the other guitar players in my band is, you know, we have a fairly simple harmonic song and I just keep trying to push myself to find like what, when I look over the other guitar players, if I see their hand at the third fret, I stay as far away from the third fret as I can. Are there certain tips and tricks that for gigging guitar players that you could, things they could pull out on the fly that would help them create space in their guitar parts? Well, that's the key word is space. Yeah. So what happens, we have a tendency as musicians to want to fill all the space. But yet, for example, if you have a simple song and the drums going doom, check, doom, doom, check, doom, and the guitars, one strumming guitar is going strum, 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 strum. That's taken care of. So maybe I'm playing something, a voicing. Maybe what happens a lot of times, because we have six strings, doesn't mean we should use all six strings all the time. I learned a long time ago from all my years in New York, especially playing with piano players, don't play full chords, play partial chords. For example, I might only play a few strings, maybe just the second, third, and fourth strings if the, the low end is being taken care of by the acoustic guitar player or the other electric guitar player. I might just play a little, you know, just a partial chord and then use a more interesting rhythm that, that creates a vibe for the song. What happens a lot of times is we tend to uh, look at music uh, as a, what I call a staple. In other words, the song starts... It, it maintains the same dynamic all the way through the song ends. To me, that's not good music. Or you're losing an opportunity to build things. Your song starts. It might just be the acoustic guitarist and the vocal that starts the song instead of the whole band playing. And then another guitar adds. So in, in other words, I've always felt like to, to build an, certain songs that are, are will work like this, the arrangement of things uh, by not using everything you have right from the start. A lot of times when I'm arranging a band, for, and also I look at this as live. So what happens a lot of times, you have the acoustic guitar playing, the song starting, then the drums and the bass kick in, you know, and then with that, and then I can add an, an interesting acoustic or electric guitar track. And then as it goes, you know, maybe the, the, the chorus comes in and things get heavier, and then it drops back down again. So instead of having this, what I call the staple effect, Song starts, it's the full dynamic, and then it ends. Then you have this much more of a beautiful, much... What happens when you pull back in music? People start to lean into you. And then you can smack them in the head a little bit with a, a little loud loud note or something, or a little interesting you know, hit. So that makes music exciting for me. It, it's being a t a t uh, very aware of dynamics and very aware of arrangement. Uh, like, does everything have to... Because you have a guitar in your hand... It's okay not to play it for the first third of the song. So to wrap up, that's that's great advice, Matt. To wrap up, I, I want you to, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I want you to point to maybe a couple songs or a couple albums that you think of in your mind when you think of really well crafted arrangements and layered guitars. Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones. Mm. That was a classic one. Starts off with just the acoustic guitar, and it kind of builds and builds and builds. By the end of the song, it's great. Uh, let me see. Think what else? Uh, some of the Led Zeppelin stuff. Because I'm no, I'm 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 61 years old. So listeners, you have to understand. My I, I listen to all kinds of music. 
Another great one, for example, I would say is Kiko by Los Lobos. Their, their music for them is that's like an amazingly arranged music, really imaginative use of stuff. Yeah. I think it's, I, uh, I think it's really important to look, uh, outside of what you ordinarily play. If you're like playing in a rock band, maybe you should listen to some more acoustic music and just be inspired by that. If you play acoustic music, perhaps you should listen to world music. In other words, music from around the world to search for textures, particularly for rhythms. That's why I was so attracted to Los Lobos when I first heard them or other bands like that, because the rhythms were not familiar to me. And, and I'm like, I love that groove. It's like when I first heard Santana, I'm like, they caught on fire primarily because of those rhythms that people hadn't heard back then. It's the same thing you have now with bands like Wolfpack or, or, or these other bands because it's super. Now, that music has been around forever. Like super hardcore funk has been around for a long time, but it's being rediscovered by a new generation because yeah. of the virtuosity of the band and because of how tight that is. There's a, a sense to, and, and that's exactly what I'm talking about razor tight interaction of, uh, of parts. And I remember in grad school, one of my favorite classes I took were the arranging classes. And I did one semester on like jazz combo and one semester on big band. And when you talk about seeing how all these parts together, even in that rhythmic example you were singing earlier, seeing it on, on kind of a broad spectrum with 16 musicians in a group, that to me taught me more about interact part interaction and dynamics and variety within an arrangement than almost listening to big band music and than almost anything I've ever done. And that was very revelatory for you, I'm sure. You hadn't really thought of music like that before. And what about you, Andy? What was that for you? Well, yes, big band, and I, I did go to Berkeley, so I got to see it as, as a young person, you know, in, in the flesh, if you will. <laughs> and, and it's one thing to look at a, listen to a record, and it's another thing to sit. I wasn't playing in the big band, you had to be pretty good to be able to qualify to play in the Berkeley Big Band. But, you know, you're four feet away from horns and, and damn, I mean, that is loud. That's, you know, that, that gets up close to a little over 100 dB, you know, when they start to punch. <laughs> um, but also symphonic music, the same thing. If you go listen to uh, live symphony, then you hear the colors and then you get these weird colors that you, that – fall way outside of what we normally use, you know, the piccolos, for goodness sake, way up there, the piccolos or the little chimey percussion things, you know, and they only come in, you know, 17 minutes into the piece <laughs> for eight bars. <laughs> that's that's brilliant. I, one of my great experiences, uh, I got a call uh, one day, I was actually in New Orleans uh, and I got a call to come up to Carnegie Hall and play with the Boston with the New York Pops at a at a, a concert and, and sitting and it was a it was James Bond they needed somebody to play those James Bond guitar parts I'm like sure I and they're like you know so I luckily I was able to read enough that I was able to just walk in and do it and and uh, but sitting in the middle of an orchestra and and listening to it like that was mind-blowing. Like sitting there in the middle of an orchestra, a 77-piece orchestra, and you're just listening to all the different parts. I was in complete awe of the power of that. And and so 
you know, all of those experiences, I, I hope uh, a lot of these listeners get a chance to really uh, go outside the normal things that they listen to. Because if you keep listening to, for example, to uh, Swedish death metal, for example, and if you keep listening, if you the music you write is going to sound like all the other music that you listen to. If you always listen for different influences and try to get as many different influences, it's a much longer path, but you'll come up with something much more original, I think. Well, I think that's a great way to end today's episode. Uh, Matt, thanks again for hanging. Always good to get some time and, and learn some stuff from you. So uh, join us back again on Friday when we have Matt Smith uh, returning. So we'll talk then. Mm-hmm.